Welcome to the Sharing What's Good podcast. I'm your host, Kim Spears. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing DJ Vince Adams, a Chicago native, and in my eyes, a fundraising guru who I wanted the Sharing What's Good audience to meet. Welcome, Vince. Hey, hey, how's it going, Kim? Going well. So let's just jump right in, Vince. Where did your love of music stem? Uh, probably the cradle. Uh, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the story, at least, that I'm told by uh, my family. They say that I was always um, interested in music, that I always gravitated toward the speakers, toward the stereo, even to the extent of being able to climb out of the crib <laughs> and, and get closer to whatever was playing. So uh, it really just comes from the fact that I, I grew up in an environment and a family that always had music playing. And um, believe it or not, uh, it wasn't always, um, you know, I didn't, I did not grow up necessarily with Aretha Franklin and James Brown and, um, you know, maybe Patti LaBelle, but there was a lot of jazz, a lot of Earth, Wind & Fire, a lot of Isley Brothers. So, you know, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, I've got a lot of love for music, but uh, my family has some very specific interests and uh, I just kind of carried it forward. Okay, so then you become a DJ. So when did that happen? <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, well, it, it kind of happened uh by the fact that in the 70s, uh, when you were old enough to be downstairs during daylight hours and they were nice enough to, you know, at the family basement parties, allow you to play a song or two. And then it was time for the kids to go upstairs. I guess it kind of started then just by being a record selector um, at different points. Like, I think this would be a good song. But um, as a formal DJ, it was in 1984 when I saw the movies uh, Beach Street and breaking. So if we remember back in the early 80s, we didn't necessarily have, you know, the music videos that we have of today and, um, you know, the Internet and, you know, kids today, they know what Dubai is and Greece. And, you know, in the 80s, we didn't know anything other than Love Boat, Fantasy Island, uh, Happy Days, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> the, the Jeffersons, you know. So, um, you know, when I got to see Breaking and Beach Street, those two separate movies, and they had real DJing components in both movies. It was really my first time being able to see the DJ manipulate the record and that sort of thing. And that was my eighth grade uh, year. And I said, Mom, I want turntables and a mixer for my eighth grade graduation and my uh, 14th year uh, birthday gift, you know, because I'm, I'm a June baby. So graduation is always close to uh to birthday and so she made it my combo uh eighth grade graduation 14 year old uh christmas i mean sorry um graduation and birthday gift was two turntables and a mixer and just kind of took on from there so when you actually got paid for it how did that make you feel oh i mean that's that's what started it all i had you know back in back in the 80s especially the early mid 80s a lot of us you know did not necessarily aspire to be professional athletes or, or professional musicians, uh, you know, I think that kind of came around the era of the music video and the huge music contracts that we saw, you know, people get over the years. But, you know, in the 80s, you were more so just a fan of an artist, an actor, a musician, you know, 
uh, as guys, we idolize, you know, Dr. J, um, you know, that sort of thing. And you might have tried, you know, his moves, but you didn't think you were going to go and play for the Sixers and <laughs> make mm -hmm. Doc, Dr. J money. So as a DJ, I didn't have aspirations of being a paid DJ. I, I, I was really just doing it as a hobby. And my first paid gig, um, I actually had to be talked into it. Really? Yeah, because I had no aspirations of being a DJ. It was just something I was doing for fun. It wasn't mm -hmm. something that I thought that I would be doing uh, for money. So I did take my uh, DJ equipment to college. And like within my, my third week of school, a buddy asked me to DJ a party. And I said, no. And uh, short story, <laughs> we, we went back and forth. And he said, we'll pay you $50. And I was like, well, you didn't say that. Pick me up at seven. <laughs> 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 and... Uh, you know, $50 in 1988. I mean, you were rich. That was like, you know, 10 haircuts, 10 yep. pizzas, yep. 10, you know, trips to KFC. Like you could do a lot with $50 in, in 1988. And so after getting paid, that's really what set everything off. So I was able to, you know, kind of take my hobby and turn it into a, a, a college hustle. Yeah. I was getting ready to say, especially in college, that was good money. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So you're a DJ. And uh, I actually was introduced you to you by you actually doing a fundraiser for Delta and which I thought you did a great job. And then fast Thank forward, you. we, you know, partnered with you to do another one. And I remember asking for a request mm -hmm. car wash. And I was right. quickly told by a friend, he doesn't take requests. So right. why don't you take requests? I have a thought, but I want to hear from you. Very simply put, Back in the 80s, people used to come to the DJ to find out what the new music was. So the, the, the thing in the early days of club DJing, if you will, not basement DJing and that sort of thing. Even if you go back to, you know, people talk about Studio 54 or the original Warehouse or that sort of thing. They talk about being introduced to this new music. And we heard these things for the first time. And really the... the and if you look at any hip hop documentary, when they talk about the breakbeats and DJ Cool Herc, and it's always about, man, they were just introducing us to these beats and we got to hear this music that we had never heard before. So the culture of DJing really came out of people introducing or the DJs introducing the audience to new music. But the invention of the iPod allowed the audience or the listener to program their own music and after the ipod then you have the smartphone and now people expect to hear from the dj what they listen to on their own time as opposed to the whole art of djing was introducing people to new music where people can say i can remember where i was when i heard this for the first time so the uh a, a huge or large amount of DJs love being the provider and don't want to feel like a jukebox where like you, know, you drop a quarter in and get a song out. That's a jukebox where the DJ is kind of the programmer and creating the experience for you. So uh, I'm much more so like to be the barometer, more like to be um, the, the, the flavor for the womb as opposed to um, the person saying, hey, this is what I want to hear. Because nine times out of out of 10, or I'll say, say even 19 times out of 20, when a person makes a request, 
it's probably a personal favorite, but mm-hmm. not necessarily even the song that's best for the entire environment <laughs> that's being played for. Like, this is their song that they want to hear, but that one song might kill the entire vibe of the party, but they got to hear their favorite song. So uh, as, as, as a DJ, it allows me to kind of, you know, again, set the temperature of the room and create the flow and, and do what, you know, really, really DJs were intended to do, which was to be the original selector. Awesome. That's a great answer. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I understand. Yeah. I respect that, Vince. Well, thank you so much. So don't worry about it. I won't ask you again. <laughs> uh, car, car, car washes on deck uh, indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, so with, with that in mind, when prior to COVID, what was your DJ experience like? Prior to COVID, I mean, I, I was, you know, probably, you know, one of the most sought after, I guess you could say, uh, special event DJs in the country. Okay. So, you know, um, it, it was, uh, if you were the Chicago Urban League, 100 Black Men, Sorority, Fraternity, uh, Guardsmen, Lynx, you know, Jack and Jill, if you were a, you know, a political fundraiser of DJ for the Obamas, I mean, you know, um, essentially, if you were looking to set a event and have a club dare I say, a street feel, but at the same time, have a family-friendly music, have a a clean, um, you know, uh, polished image to it, but at the same time, give it a club feel, that I was the person for the job. We know a lot of um, galas and formal events tend to be kind of, you know, stodgy, if you will, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the fact that I could bring a club flavor, but at the same time, keep the professional still speak the King's English, uh, make announcements, <laughs> you know, uh, when needed. So, you know, being able to kind of, you know, I guess you could say, traverse the, the club street and bougie lines all at the same time and give a good, you know, finished product allowed me to kind of spiral or dovetail out of the club scene more into the special events and private events, uh, seeing the bulk of what my DJ life was prior to COVID. So then COVID hits, and mm-hmm. how do you pivot? The first thing that I did was just to sit still. Um, I didn't have really any level of panic. It's not necessarily, I mean, you know, anybody who's known me since I was 12, 13, 14, they're like, he's kind of the same guy he's always been. I've always been very even keel, very kind of like... Uh, um, just laid back to a great extent. Um, and so when every, you know, when the comp calls start coming in and you kind of see that the contracts are not going to be satisfied for, you know, the next few months, I, I just really sat still. I didn't panic. I didn't think really, what am I going to do? I just kind of sat, sat quiet. And um, the day that D nice hit a hundred thousand. Actually, I think got up to 160,000 views on Instagram. My phone was blowing up. Like people were calling me like, are you watching this? I was like, no, I'm not actually. (laughs) (laughs) And then something just told me to tune in. And uh, when I tuned in, I I thought it was absolutely amazing. Uh, But what I kind of noticed is that all of his, I guess you could say engagement, with the virtual crowd was you had to be an A-tier celebrity. It was like, oh, there's Lenny Kravitz. Oh, Janet Jackson. Oh, Naomi Campbell. Mm-hmm. Oprah's here. Michelle Obama. But, you know, if you were, you know, 
uh, Jenny, you know, uh, Stephenson from Illinois State University, you were not getting a shout out <laughs> at that party. And so I, the, my gear clicked in and I said, I could have a party like this that makes everybody feel like they're in VIP as opposed to there are a bunch of people here, but you're not VIP, so you'll never be recognized. And, and so that was kind of like the, the, the switch that flipped for me was I could create an environment for everybody and decided that following week uh, to host a couple of events that just, you know, they really turned viral. And we have to take ourselves back to the early stages of uh, COVID, you know, uh, shelter in place in March when people didn't know what exactly was going on, how long this would last. And, um, you know, the party was just attended by thousands of people and tens of thousands of views and um, you know, that kind of set the tone for, you know, really the next few months of pe people saying, hey, when you're going live again, we just kind of need the, the relief uh, that you provided during uh, that experience. Mm -hmm. So what lessons have you learned along the way through this journey of being a DJ? It, it, would, it would probably be more reinforcements of things that I've always known as opposed to like, here's something new. Uh, I've always, as a matter of fact, I was talking to my co-producer who does uh, the background uh, video uh, work for, for my Zooms. I was talking to him and he said, man, I remember when you were 26 years old and you left, you know, a Fortune 500 company that I was working for because they, they weren't paying me what it is that I felt was my fair value for what it is that I was providing for the company. He was like, you're that same guy 25 years later. Like you really just hold to your to your guns and stick to your value. And so, you know, I think that a lot of people don't know their value and not not to say that you should ever, you know, be insubordinate, that you should ever be disrespectful. Uh, but, you know, when you can identify exactly what it is you bring to a, a an environment as a problem solver, that's how I see myself more so in this world today is as a problem solver, not as a DJ, if you will. And so that's how I've approached everything that I've ever done business-wise. I look for what is it that isn't being done or what is the you know, differential advantage or the unique application that I can bring. And the person that gets, you know, I guess you could say the most respect, the person that gets paid the most is a person that can answer a question that other people can't answer. I mean, that's really, you know, the person that can provide a level of value that other people can't, a per person that can solve a problem where other people still have the same question. And that's always been my philosophy for business over the last 25 years. So the one thing that this COVID environment has done uh, specifically has allowed me to take my, you know, Whitney Young six year education from seventh to 12th grade. Uh, take my FAMU bachelor's degree, take my master's degree from DePaul in technology, take, um, you know, the five companies that I work for corporately from Big Six, Anderson Consulting to Fortune, you know, uh, 100, 500 companies like Prudential to private companies. And then, you know, the entrepreneur that I've been for last year and package all of those experiences together in order for me to know my value and really bring a, a very special product to you know this you know the world really but because i have an international uh you know show and appeal at this point that otherwise you know isn't really being provided that that for me is validation of what it is that I, i've known for the last 25 years i'm curious vince do you have a mentor um i have a lot of i guess you could say uh people that i respect in um 
and how they move. Uh, but, but I, I mean, relative to the number of books that I've read, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I'm a voracious video watcher. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, always a sponge in personal development mode. So relative to, um, you know, anything from, you know, positive mental attitude things to law of attraction to uh, quantum physics, you name it. I mean, a lot of different things that, that I surround myself with information wise. And I, I have a lot of people that I respect um, you know, and their presentation of information, but like someone that I sit with uh, directly and say, hey, how does this work? Uh, I, I couldn't say for sure, but there's certainly quite a few people that are more successful than I am that if I have a question, I can give them a call and they're like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, here's, uh, you know, some advice for you. So, um, you know, definitely I have people that I, that I look up to and that I'm blessed enough to have as references, but um, you know, uh, the school of hard knocks and, and I guess you could say uh, trial by error has, has been my best friend. So what about mentees? Now, I mean, you know, something that I do is uh, I, I have reached out to quite a few people that I see something special in mm-hmm. and, you know, share with them um, things that I see in them, applications of what it is that they're doing that they could get possibly even um, stronger uh, or, or more effective result from, and you know, I've been blessed enough to actually see real time results no, <laughs> in, okay. in, a, in a relatively short amount of time. And they're like, "It worked." I'm like, "I know." Okay. <laughs> it, okay. It, These are aspiring know, DJs. Uh, I can't necessarily say aspiring. They're accomplished DJs that have the opportunity to do even bigger things okay. um, um, beyond what they're doing. So I, I wouldn't necessarily call them, you know, necessarily up and coming because there are a lot of people who. Just like you, you know, you were introduced to me at a very mature um, stage and, you know, um, me being a, a public figure. But, you know, it's like where you find people is kind of where they are. It doesn't mean that they weren't there before you found them. You know, so I don't want to I would never say for them. Oh, yeah, they're up and coming. They were big names in their markets or to the people that they were with. Uh, but an opportunity for me to, you know, uh, be able to sh- share a perspective with them that you know allows their star to shine even brighter okay okay so what's next for you in your business um more of the same i mean you know one thing that i tell people is that i i don't have a five-year game plan a 10-year I've, I've never had a long-range game plan because the my ability to identify opportunity in the moment i was talking to my other co-producer who actually handles what happens real time in my shows and in my chat. And she said, one of the most amazing things that I've seen you be able to do is come up with an idea and implement it very quickly. She's like, it's amazing how quick you go from, like, I've got an idea to actually implementing. So, you know, uh, the, the example that I give, and, and, and I hope it's not lost on, on the listeners, uh, but there was a video game in the mid eighties called Dragon Slayer. Mm-hmm. And this guy riding a horse, and the horse, um, you know, is there, and the guy's name is Dirk the Daring. And what happens is he's riding the horse, and a light flashes either on your left or your right, and it's like a fork in the road. And what you do to advance the video game is when you see the light flash in that direction, you got to go in that direction. Then the light flashes like fork in the road, left, right. You have to make sure that you're always catching the light mm-hmm. <laughs> as it flashes left, right. So, you know, my, uh, I guess you could say, uh, special ability has been to kind of 
be prepared once the light flashes. And so like COVID, there's no way that I can prepare for me having, you know, now at 50 years of age, an even bigger, uh, I guess you could say, um, um, a, a bigger profile than I than I had when I was, you know, uh, the go-to DJ for the Obama re-election events or the, go the, the resident DJ of the Funky Buddha Lounge in Chicago for seven years, which was, you know, a major destination for, you know, NBA, Major League Baseball, <laughs> NHL, like anybody who was at everybody in, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s had to go to the Buddha Lounge. Well, that was the club that I was spending during that time. So who would think that 15, 20 years later, your profile is even bigger than that point. But it's because, you know, I stayed ready. And when the opportunities present themselves, it's, you know, my ability to kind of see it and make that opening. So I have no idea where the world is going in this new space, but I know I'll be ready for the next opportunity or, you know, take this one to the next level, um, you know, as the time reveals what's next. Okay. One final question. Sure. What are you grateful for? Oh, wow. I mean, I've got like the, the most incredible support system in the world, like, like the most incredible support system i was actually in a uh in a in a in, a, in an event it, it might have been like a facebook live event and i was like i'm blessed to be able to say i have hundreds of friends and, and somebody mm. responded like like you can't have hundreds of friends i was like you can't have hundreds of friends <laughs> <laughs> but i can literally say that there are hundreds of people you know and that might be in the two three hundred but that's still Lots of people, because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you can only have two or three, you know, or man, the, the family love that I have, um, the, the, the support that my wife gives me, um, my wife's family, like they're like, you know, I have a very small family. My wife has a huge family. And to a person, the love that they have for her, the love that they have for me. And then, you know, the fact that if we if we track this and, and for anybody who. It's not from Whitney Young. This may be lost on them, but uh, Whitney Young is a high school in Chicago. I graduated from there in 1988. It's the alma mater of our former first lady, uh, Michelle Obama. Uh, you know, Whitney Young was a huge breeding ground, if you will, of, you know, people who have done fantastic things, you know, uh, beyond the point that they graduated. And so for me to have lived in Hyde Park, which is where our rival high school, Kenwood, was, the friends that I have from Kenwood, the friends that I have from Whitney Young, going to Florida A&M University, which is its own dynamic nationally, pledging Alpha Phi Alpha in spring 90, uh, the last lines that were able to to pledge above ground and pledging with, you know, Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick and, um, you know, a judge and so many other people, those circles that I created living next door to Mayor Lair, uh, Keisha Lance Bottom uh, of uh at, you know, at the Atlanta's mayor, while I was pledging, and we, she was pledging Delta the Saints, now I'm pledging Alpha. I mean, the, the relationships that I've built over these years, there's literally hundreds of people that I could call and say, I need a favor. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what do you need? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I'm grateful for the fact that I've, you know, kept fantastic, tremendous relationships over the last, you know, 30, 40 years, shown the world a lot of love, and it's shown me um, tenfold what it is that I've given out. I could not be more grateful than to have people, you know, speak super highly of me when I'm not in their presence and 
that sort of thing for them to en en enlist the, the level of trust uh, that they have and just, you know, in so many different ways of me. Uh, I couldn't, that, that's my number one point of, uh, of grace and, and, and uh, gratitude. There's the relationships that um, I fortified uh, over the years have been amazing, like, I mean, invaluable. Yeah, sure. I would agree that you make whoever you're working with at that particular time feel like they're the most important group or people because you can focus, you have the ability to focus and concentrate and treat everybody with respect. So for that, we appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for the interview. And hey, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future. Thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, you know, all I can say is, you know, congratulations, you know, to, to you. Um, I'm not going to call your husband your better half. You're the better half always. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just just, just the, the opening that you both have had in, in order to, you know, bring this information. It's like the light bulb comes on. Uh, but it's only one thing for the light bulb to come on. It's another point to execute after, you know, the, the juices are flowing. So for you to, you know. Um, have the desire to say, hey, we want to get good information out and share some stories that otherwise might not be heard if we didn't share it from our platform. Um, you know, I, I see that preparation and a lot of us uh, doing that same thing, really creating a, a new tomorrow. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of yours and, you know, a, a bright day coming for, you know, all of us. I'm, I'm sure of that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I will have to say, though, the husband... Couldn't have, I couldn't even think about doing this without him. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> All right, thank you. You got it. Continue success. Thank you. Today's interview teaches us that our collective experiences can design a path in life beyond our wildest dreams. Remember to know your value and believe in yourself. You are amazing. This is a K-Pop Food LLC production.